Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So today, um, I have a very special message that I'm, I'm excited to share with you, um, that I was inspired by this week, as it usually happens. And so we're going to be talking today about forgiveness. In no way is this going to be comprehensive. The subject, thank you, Daniel. But thank you, the uh, subject of forgiveness is uh, quite a big one. Lots of verses, lots of passages having to do with forgiveness. And so I hope that I can scratch the surface of this extremely important topic, extremely important understanding that we need to have on the subject of forgiveness. The title of this message is called The Forgiveness Paradox. Kind of a sci-fi, kind of cool sounding right there, keeps things interesting, but it actually applies very well to the subject of forgiveness. Many of you might know what a paradox is. If you don't, let me tell it to you or remind you if you already do. There's actually two kinds of paradoxes that we need to talk about here. The first one, the plain definition of a paradox, is a statement or a phrase or a sentence that is either absurd or self-contradictory. That it like contradicts itself even in the midst of its own statement, but it actually turns out to be well-founded or in fact true. So here's an example of a really kind of interesting, weird paradox here. Um, so here's something you might say, uh, you know, if you want to figure it out, go to a restaurant, might, maybe it's Shabbat evening, Sabbath is ended and you want to go out to eat. Um, so you might make a statement like this, no one goes out to eat on Saturday nights because the restaurants are too crowded. Uh, it kind of contradicts itself, don't you think? No one goes out to eat. It's like, but they're too crowded. There's too many people there. So that means a ton of people go there. But in truth of fact, you make that statement, there's some truth to it. You know, yeah, you might like, do you want to go out to eat? No, it's going to be way too busy or whatever. It's like, so, you know, we, we just never go out. People don't go out on Saturday nights. So it's this statement that contradicts itself, but, and it sounds maybe absurd or self-contradictory, but it's actually true in some way. The other one you might be familiar of with is a time paradox. This is made famous in Hollywood movies. It's the entire premise of Back to the Future, that if you were to go back in time and alter the past so as to that your ancestor didn't give birth to you, maybe you killed your ancestor, hopefully accidentally, or prevented you know, your, your grandparents from meeting, then you yourself wouldn't have been born. So then therefore, how could you have ever gone back in time in the first place and adjusted that? And it becomes this infinite loop of how in the world is that even possible? You can't kill your own ancestor, then you would have never been born, then you never would have been able to kill them, and then you never been, and just cycles back through. So this is a time paradox. Makes for good twists in Hollywood movies like Terminator and Time Rider, and of course makes the premise of Back to the Future work. And so this whole idea of this paradox is fascinating. It make you think. It makes you, it makes you, it's puzzling to think, is, is it possible? Is it true? Is, could it happen? Who, who knows? Time, as far as we know, time travel has not been invented, so we can't necessarily test this theory just quite yet. Forgiveness has several paradoxes associated with it. Several things that where things appear to contradict one another in the sense of why we have forgiveness from the Father. This is the first one that I want to point out to you. Luke chapter 23 at verse 34. The Messiah was being crucified by these people who were sending an innocent man to his death. 
And he's being crucified, and he's being scorned, and he's being mocked. And in that verse, we have the extremely famous quote, phrase, that, that the Messiah cried out. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, and our Messiah was pleading for the forgiveness of those that were crucifying him. But had they not been crucifying him, the acceptable sacrifice would not be given, and would they have forgiveness? Would they have had forgiveness for their willful, defiant, sending an innocent man to his death? Would they have forgiveness had they not crucified the Messiah to his death? Fascinating cycle of, of, of gets your brain sort of spinning about how in these th world do, do these things still kind of work? Now, I have said from this stage before, God exists outside of time. And so with God, all things are possible. And so God somehow makes these things work regardless of what came first. And so that's the kind of thing where that you can assume plainly is that a paradox can be controlled and, and uh, understood by God himself. Our human brain just has trouble wrapping, wrapping our head around it. So that might be a simple explanation to it. And in fact, I might even say, I'll, I'll confess right now, anything that I say in this message, I might not give a decent answer to it. You'll probably go back and you'll just be like, Ephraim, you didn't even answer any of those questions. You just posed all these weird scenarios and you have no explanation for it. You're right. I, I, I don't know if I do. But hopefully on the subject of forgiveness, we might be able to better understand how we receive it from God, how God's, God views it, and then how we also need to apply it in our own lives. Thank God, he, our Messiah, as crazy as it is to say, was crucified and made that sacrifice. That that sacrifice was given to us so that we have forgiveness. Everything that led up to that, as much as bad things happened that led to that sacrifice, from him being falsely accused, to him being beaten, scorned, scourged, every sin that took place up to that point in time, every horrible sin that ever took place, the rejection of the covenant by Israel, all of that had to happen so that we received that sacrifice, so that God gave of himself the acceptable Lamb of God sacrifice so that we have salvation. We might not be able to wrap our head around it, but man, we can just certainly praise God that we have it. Amen? Okay, so we can, we, we can understand that and, 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 and think of that. And so forgiveness is this wonderful thing we have that wouldn't exist if sin didn't take place. If there hadn't been the original sin, we, there wouldn't be a need for forgiveness. But yet, forgiveness is this thing that we know is, is amazing, beautiful. It sets one free. It, 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 it causes reconciliation to take place between two people that were wronged by another or whatever it is. It's this wonderful thing, and it's a great thing. Once again, thankful that we have it, but it's sin that produces the need for it. Now, we all human beings, we're all sinful. We all need forgiveness, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we need reconciliation. We need to be connected back to the Father in the presence of the Father. Because we have sinned, it's driven us away from his presence. We need to be forgiven so that we can go and back and be with the Father. Now, if we could see every other situation of forgiveness between us and our brother the same way that we see it with God, things would be a whole lot better. 
But unfortunately, we cause a great separation and distinction between the kind of forgiveness that we ask and plead that we want God to give to us than the kind of forgiveness we freely give to our fellow brother, which I say freely, quote unquote, there because some of us withhold forgiveness in many different ways. Let's go to passages that talk about forgiveness. The first one I want to go to is Colossians chapter 3. And it is at verse uh, 13. Let me start at verse 12 then. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And this is the first of several verses that all have to do with forgiving one another as we have been forgiven by God. Once again, I said that, you know, it's like, if we're thinking about our relationship with God, do you want forgiveness from God for your sins? Yes, you won't find a single believer or person that would say no to that question. So therefore, we have this forgiveness from God that then we are supposed to turn around and then give to others. As we have received grace from the Father, we should extend grace to one another. But do all of us do that in beautiful, wonderful ways? No, we don't. We always hold things against our brother. We, if somebody wrongs us, we kind of, we hold it against them. It's like, well, I know we need to forgive and, and we're going to get into all the different interactions that we have with our need for forgiveness for one another. But we have this passage that of course tells us we need to forgive as God has forgiven us. So now let me read Ephesians chapter four, beginning at verse 25, where it says this, therefore, Putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to its hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Once again, you got this little bit more of this elaboration coming from the Apostle Paul. A couple of things that you can pull out of this passage. One, it says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. This is a recommendation. This is a piece of counsel. Don't go to bed angry and continue to be frustrated with something that someone did to you. It doesn't say that you can't be angry for a period of time, and in fact, that's what you need sometimes. You need a period of time of cooling off from when somebody wronged you and you like you don't know how to react in that situation just at first blush so you need to kind of let things simmer a little bit if you got a big wound that is got a big cut on your arm and what you need to do is if it's really bleeding you got to patch it up you got to do something quick about it and you might need to cauterize the wound and you know what sometimes that's what anger and wrath inside of us righteous indignation righteous anger for a hurt that was given to you or trauma, 
You react sort of, it's part of the process, part in the grieving process. The psychologists will tell you that anger is a part of the process. And sometimes you need that anger and that heat to cauterize the wound. But don't let the sun go down on that anger. Don't let it prolong because if you are exposed to a burn or a heat for too long, you cause first, second, third degree burns rather than just cauterizing and causing the scar that is necessary. You end up causing more harm to yourself if you do not put away the wrath, put away the anger and the frustration that you have. It says, put those things away. Let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, let those things go away. And then when it also says, to him who stole, let him steal no longer, but rather let him labor. See, when somebody steals, you know, you might think, well, the proper punishment for that person is, well, they need to go to jail. Well, the, the counsel's being given here. It's all like, well, Instead of locking them up, let him go back and earn his keep. Let him make back what he, has, uh, that, that what he has taken and then let him learn from the process so that he can then earn and give to someone else at the time of need. This is about reconciliation. This is, about, this is the purest form of forgiveness in which the person has completely changed their behavior, turned things around, and suddenly they now can serve the kingdom. That's great. That's all wonderful. Problem is a lot of us don't take the counsel of the Apostle Paul and we sort of like put our own ideas and thoughts into it. The way that somebody should be, that, you know, I'm going to give forgiveness, but I'm going to need to see a couple of things in place before that happens. So we'll get into that in, in, in just a little bit as well. I want to bring up a couple of, of paradoxes. Now here's another, like this one's going to kind of uh, make your brain wrap around itself a little bit a few times. And we'll be getting more into the subject, so I'll, I'll be getting back to that. Matthew chapter 6, where we have the Lord's Prayer. You know, we, the kids did their Lord's Prayer, but then immediately following the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, it says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men's tra trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Okay, that sounds like something we already said. Forgive as you have been forgiven by God. But then it also says right here that it's like if you forgive men their trespasses, then you'll be forgiven by God. Do you, do you see the, the, the slight change here? So I have a brother that has sinned against me. I need to forgive him. And I'm told by the scripture, I need to forgive him as God has forgiven me. So I know God has forgiven me. So then therefore, I then extend that forgiveness. But Matthew 6 right here says, if I don't forgive him, then God won't forgive me. So, so how, how does the cycle work here? Did I get forgiveness from God and then I know how to give it to somebody else? But if I never gave it to somebody else, did I get forgiven by God. Once again, here's this other, the, the, this paradox here where what we, what it causes us to do is it causes us to think. It causes us to look inwardly and we have to understand this concept of forgiveness. This is not just something easy that we can gloss over. We can just, we can't just say, God, thank you for your forgiveness. And then somebody wrongs you and then say, oh, I forgive you. And then that's all we have to deal with. That's all that we have to do. I looked at a paper from a psychologist that said we need to understand forgiveness not just as a communicative act, but as a mental phenomenon. It's not just something that you say, and that's the whole act. 
It's a mental phenomenon. It's a state of mind. It's something that happens within you, in your head, for you to truly grasp and understand what forgiveness is. This is why I can't stand up on the stage and I can't solve every single issue or conflict you have in your life and teach you about forgiveness and suddenly you're ready and off and running, fixing every wrong that has ever been done to you or you've ever done to anybody else, and suddenly you're at peace with all things and all men. You're not going to learn that from just me speaking here. It's going to take an introspection, a self-audit on your part to figure out how all of this applies. And the way, that, the, the way these things are said and spoken to us in the scripture causes us to have to dwell on this subject, on this subject of forgiveness. Now, let me ask you something. Has somebody ever wronged you and you told them and you said, I forgive you? But then, based on behaviors, actions, thoughts, feelings, you realize you didn't actually forgive them. Has that ever happened to you? Or have an experience or know somebody? I don't see a lot of hands up, but trust me, I, I, I get this. That's a paradox. You forgave them, but you didn't. You yourself have committed this exact same thing where you said you forgave them. So let me tell you a couple of reasons why you said that you forgave them. And maybe you said it maybe a little bit too fast, too quickly in response to the hurt or the trauma that was done to you. I got three reasons for fast, fake forgiveness. Fast, fake forgiveness. You said it so fast, you just, you you did it. One, you did it because that's what good people are supposed to do. You look at yourself, you think that you're a good person, so then good people, they forgive. So I just, I forgave you. You hurt me and I forgave you. But the thing is, is, is the reason why you're looking at yourself and thinking that you need to be a good person is because you're worried about your perception in other people's eyes. Then when other people see you, um, don't good people forgive? If you don't forgive, well, then people are going to think you're not a good person. But let me tell you something. How other people think of you is not a reason for you to forgive too quickly. Because there's a hurt. There's a trauma. There's a healing that needs to take place. And other people aren't experiencing that hurt and that feeling. You've got to process it. You've got to figure that out. So don't just, do, just quickly forgive somebody because you think, well, that's what good people do, and I want to be a good person. That's the first reason for fast, fake forgiveness. The second one is this. You're pressured to forgive so that everybody else feels better. Everybody else feels better because it's awkward until that statement is made. Somebody got hurt. They're trying to talk to you. They're trying to counsel with you. Are you okay or whatever? And, 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 and they're awkward, and they, they, they feel weird about it. And the person who committed the wrong, they, they, you know, they, they, they want to know if they're forgiven, they want to do this or whatever. But until you've processed the hurt or the feelings that you have felt, you can't just say, oh, I forgive you just to make everybody else feel better. You know, you, you're in a schoolyard or something and a kid got hit or something like that. And it's like, oh, you need to apologize. And so the kid apologizes. And it's like, do you forgive them? And they're like, I forgive you. And then the teacher or the, you know, that's watching recess and all the other kids are like, oh, good. Okay, we can just go back to playing, right? Everything's good. But what if real hurt happened? What if somebody truly was offended or insulted? No healing is getting taken place because somebody said, I forgive you too quickly. And see, that's the third thing, reason for fast, fake forgiveness. We think that it is a shortcut for healing. 
We think that if we say the words, if they come out of our mouth so fast and say, I forgive you, that suddenly that's going to rapidly speed up the healing process. Because that's what people don't want to deal with. They don't want to think about the, the healing process. They don't want to think about the icky dealing with your emotions and the hurt and, and all the things and the reason, need for counseling and all those things. And, they, and, and you just won't, don't want to deal with those things because it's like, let's just skip all that icky stuff and let's just get to the healing part. Saying that you forgive somebody doesn't heal you and doesn't heal them. Forgiveness is about freedom. Forgiveness is about being freed from something, some chain that would hold you down or that you would, would bind you to something. But it's not about healing. Healing has to come with time. See, because freedom without, without forgiveness, or if you have unforgiveness in your life, you're just in an infinite cycle, an infinite loop, and you are just trapped and you are just chained. I have a flow chart to uh, pop up on the screen and uh, so we'll, we'll get this. This is this flow chart of how we normally process somebody who's wronged us. You start at the top right there and you say, someone sinned against you. Okay, somebody sinned against you. So then you go to the right and it's like, well, are they repentant? So you want to ask and you want to get the repentance from them. And if you say no, well, then you move on. But also if you say yes, you kind of want something more. So you say yes, but yes, but have they been punished? Well, yeah, if they have been punished, you still say yes, but, or if you say no, you move on to the next one and say, well, have they changed their behavior? If no, then they're just going to sin against you again. So no, they haven't changed their behavior. The sin and the cycle just keeps going. But if they have changed your behavior, somehow you then think everything is fine, everything's satisfied. So then you say, okay, I forgive them. But then you go right back into the same loop. Somebody else will sin against you or they'll sin against you in a different way. And you see this infinite loop, this infinite cycle that you're just constantly trapped in. And you're trapped by it. Because you are sitting there trying to figure out what kind of punishment goes to them, what kind of thing you that you want to hear but you don't know if you want to hear or it's not, something's not good enough. Somebody can be repentant and you're like, it didn't sound authentic. Somebody can say, sorry, oh, that's not a genuine apology. Or a real apology is a change in behavior. Guess what? Everybody is still sinful. We still sin. We, still sin. we, 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 we transgress the law every single day and they will still sin against you. People will not change their behavior. They just don't. So if that's what you're waiting for is a change in behavior, suddenly they're going to fall in another way, in a different way, and they're going to sin against you once again. This is this trap, this prison, this infinite loop that we can get stuck in if we are trying to seek forgiveness the way our brain tells us that we want it. Let's now go to Luke chapter 17, where we have the passage about something that actually contradicts this, this flow chart, or at least it, it, it sort of intervenes at one of these points in one of these junctures. Luke 17 at verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins a bit against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Okay, that goes directly against the flow chart that we saw up there that was, you know, if they repent, and if that answer is yes, you forgive them. 
And then immediately that little cycle can continue seven times in one day of you just, you forgive them, then they sin again, repent, sin, or forgive them, sin again. And this is still this infinite loop, but it at least breaks up the flow chart. It, it still puts you in this loop, but not in such a big one to where you're always trying to get your pound of flesh for the punishment that you want to come to that person. So now we then have Matthew chapter 18, which is right along the lines of this same, this same subject. When Peter asked, you know, well, how, how many times do I, do I forgive or how do I forgive? Matthew 18 at verse 21, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Like that there is just this need to constantly be giving forgiveness. That's the way God forgives us and you know it. Because you sin all the time, every time, you sin every day, you sin multiple times a day, every day. And God, and, and if you recognize the sin, you confess your sin to the Father, you then ask for forgiveness and he forgives you. This is how God forgives. This is what the Messiah was teaching very specifically about how he gives forgiveness to us. Now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31, where we have the prophecy about the, the new covenant that is coming to us, what God is planning to do with all of us. And Jeremiah 31 at verse 34, it says this, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no longer. So God is willing to forgive and forget. This is the thing that we, we, we can't really do very well. We might be able to forgive, but we will never forget the things and the wrongs that have come to us. Now, that's not to say that God is forgetful. I think I've taught this before. It's not that God is forgetful and doesn't remember that wrong was done or sin took place. But it's that the punishment that is coming due to that sin, God will make sure that doesn't come against you. That's the part that he will no remember no longer. This is continued, this same concept is taught to us in Isaiah chapter 43 at verse 25 where God is speaking through the prophet, I, even I, he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, I will rem not remember your sins. So there's another little nugget to it that God gives this kind of forgiveness for his own sake, for his sake. Well, God, you know, God could, can, could remain wrathful if he wants to and continue to pour out judgments and fire and brimstone, but for his own sake, he remembers not our sins. Now bringing that application back to us. For your own sake, you should give forgiveness. For your own healing, for your own peace of mind, you give forgiveness forgiveness. It's not for them. It's not because somebody deserves forgiveness. It's not about what they deserve. It doesn't matter whether they deserve punishment or not. It's what you need is why you extend forgiveness for your own sake. See, the thing is with, with punishment 
is that you, any punishment that is due to the person who perpetrated the sin or the trauma, that's what they're owed. That's what they deserve for it. But you aren't the one who gets to determine what they're owed. When you need healing from that sin, from that trauma, you've got to look inside yourself and figure out what are you owed? What, are, what do you need as a result of this? That's what then brings true forgiveness. Now, you would think somebody wrongs you, and maybe it's somebody that you're close to and you have to deal with on a long t- for, for a long period of time. Maybe it's a member of your family. Somebody wrongs you. So if you remain unforgiving to them, if you don't forgive them, guess what? Here's what you get to do. You get to go away and leave. You don't have to deal with them anymore. Doesn't that sound like freedom? Now you're no longer, you don't longer have to deal with them. And so true freedom comes when you write them off and send them away and you now get to be free. No, because unforgiveness is a prison. It actually chains you to them. You're bonded to them. And then what you sometimes do with unforgiveness, what it turns into is vengeance. That's the whole thing back about the, the, the punishment thing that you think they deserve punishment. And you want to be the purveyor of that punishment. You're going to be the one that says, well, well, they need to do this, 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 and this, and then they'll be forgiven. That's vengeance. That's you thinking that you know what needs to happen to that person. This is a prison. This chains you to them for all eternity until you break that chain. You have to understand that you need, to, you need to make it so that when you think of that person or when you have to deal with that person again, all the hurt, all the pain, all the trauma, it doesn't come back because it's like you're chained to it. And, and even if you said that fast, fake forgiveness, you said, I forgive him, and then you still feel like that burden is still pulling you along and you still have this hurt or the, and this trauma and it comes back and it comes back into your mind. You haven't been set free of it. So therefore, you haven't truly forgiven them. Because I said earlier, forgiveness is about freedom. And so the other paradox there, you would think just separation, that would be freedom. No, reconciliation is what brings freedom. Nobody wants to be defined by their sin or their trauma. Nobody who's committed a sin, maybe at some point in time they stole something, and then we call them a thief. And then that is their title that they get to bear for all eternity. And that sin or that one mistake they made, maybe they made the mistake a bunch of times. That now defines them, and it's their title that they get to bear. Nobody wants that. You also don't want to be defined by the trauma that you have as well. You don't want to look at somebody or somebody that knows you really well, and they're like, oh, that's the person that has a bunch of insecurities. Oh, that's the guy that has daddy issues over there. Yeah, and that trauma, he can't, everything he does, everything they say, you can just see their insecurities just coming through them. Nobody wants to be defined by that. But that's exactly what we see, especially in a congregation, especially working in ministry. And so what we do and what I'm trying to, to, to teach or to counsel is to set people free of those things. Don't let the trauma or the sins that you've committed be uh, what defines you, but be freed from it. Cast it away. Give Give it to the Father. Pray to Him. We need to understand, God, how have you forgiven me? How do I forgive others? So that I can just be free. 
Because that's the interesting thing about God. Is that, don't you think God is free? Is God not the freest being in the universe? He has all freedom. Guess what? His forgiveness is infinite. He has forgiven everybody. And he's done so even for people who at the time while the sin was happening or for even years after were unrepentant. Even people that don't recognize that they have sinned, God's forgiveness is so infinite. And you know what? Like like it said, I remember your sins for my own sake so that God himself can be free. I mean, if God wanted to burden himself with the despicable nature of humanity, well, then there'd be a lot more global disasters and phenomena and a lot more Noah's floods and a lot more natural disasters than there would be if God really wanted to bother, be bothered with humanity. But God even understands this idea of forgiveness that it brings freedom. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1 where it says this, let's begin at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light and he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See, we all have sinned. We all have wronged someone else. And any point in time when you are trying to get something from somebody, your pound of flesh, your punishment, or whatever you want from the person that sinned you or wronged, or wronged against you, that you yourself, you disregard, once again, the grace that God has given to you for all the mistakes that you have, and you are in no righteous position to make such a declaration or declare what kind of punishment someone deserves. You can't say that, oh, well, I haven't sinned. No, you're a liar. And then you, it's almost like as if that you make the, the, the payment, you, you make it null or you diminish what God has truly done for forgiving you of your sins if you can't return the same grace and same forgiveness to someone else. So as much as I can say, hey, you need to forgive those that are wronged against you, a lot of people throw their arms up in the air and say, I don't know how to do that. I mean, truly, how, how do you forgive somebody that really wronged you? As I said before, it's not just a statement. It's not just something you communicate to them and say, I forgive you. But there is something deep inside of you. You have to figure out, you have to understand what is going on for you to be forgiven. Here's something that is interesting. I heard this on a, on a TED Talk that was all on this subject. It was really powerful and impactful. And it was all about a gal who was talking about how she needed to forgive the murderer of her family members. Murdered her mother and her brother. And she's like, she went through all this process, searching and trying to find, uh, how, how do you forgive somebody who did that, who wronged you in such that horrible way? And she actually found from some Jewish sources something that was very interesting and something fundamental you need to understand. 
You can only forgive somebody for something that was done to you. You can't forgive somebody for something they did to somebody else. And this is from Jewish sources here. So if somebody wronged a family member of yours in some way, somebody insulted your father or your brother, you can't forgive them because they didn't wrong you. You can only forgive them for what they did to you. In the same way that like if you grew up in a, a rough household, father, you had a father and mother and maybe your father was abusive. Your father was abusive to your mother. You can't then go through life and then forgive your father for being abusive to your mother. That's for her to do with him. All you can be forgiven of, or the only thing you have inside of you, the capacity to forgive them is for the hurt that it made you feel for the trauma or the sadness that you had or for the, the specifically. So that's the thing about you looking inwardly at yourself to figure out what is the part that it, it plays in your life. Now I have a second flow chart uh, that is, uh, if we can pop that up there. This is the, kind of my corrected flow chart here. This is maybe oversimplified, but this is the corrected thing. Someone sins against you, process how you were hurt and forgive them. Now, I noticed that I didn't put the repentance thing in there. If you want to apply the scripture and say, like, you know what, you, 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 that person needs to repent, if they repent, then forgive them. Okay, that's part of the process. That's part of the process. If you need to hear them repent, then that's part of the process. Then you forgive them. But you know what? Sometimes you think and you're like, you know what, if they say that they, that, that they didn't mean to do it, for some of us, that doesn't make us feel any better. That's not going to fix it. That's not going to make me feel better. Even if I say that, you know, that, that they, were, they, they were sorry for what they did. You know, because I'm going to look into it and I might think, well, they're not really sorry. They never really had the capacity for apologizing throughout the history of life. So even if they repent, I'm not going to believe it and I'm not going to get any further. So if you're going to apply the scripture and say, if they repent, forgive them sometimes that's still a hang-up for you, even. You still need to process what is the part you need to hear? What is the thing you need out of it? What is the part that you are owed? Once you figure that out, then go and seek that. Seek that alone. Not all the extra stuff like making sure they're punished, making sure that person was apologetic or apologetic to somebody else. Once again, that didn't involve you. Figure out the part that you are owed. Real forgiveness removes expectations. You cannot have this whole bit of expectations and put all of these layers and these boundaries upon which then you'll give forgiveness. True forgiveness removes expectations. God can know your heart. And know you are going to sin every day of your life up to the day you die. But he still has forgiveness for you. Does God require, truly require of you that change in behavior, knowing full well that you won't and you don't? But yeah, he still gives forgiveness. God, now God, each relationship between a person and God is different. And the expectations, you know God actually does have those expectations of you. And so you, in your pursuit and love of him, you do your best to fulfill those expectations. But are you going to let God down? Yes, you will. Multiple times. 
Many times. Are you going to let God down in the same way that you used to sin and you sinned before? And Yeah, we are. But God's love is still so infinite for his sake. He still gives forgiveness. And so ask yourself, can you do that? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. Can you remove all expectations from the person that hurt you that they're going to change, that they will ever be punished, or that they're even going to be apologetic? Can you remove those expectations and forgive them so you can be free? Because that's what we're seeking here. We're seeking your freedom. That's what we're talking about. Because this unforgiveness, it chains you down. The, the quote I saw a long time ago, it was Rafiki from The Lion King. It was a picture, it was a meme. And it said, forgive them. Not because they deserve it, but because you deserve to have peace. Because none of us truly deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve it from God. And we don't deserve it from our brethren. But if God's plan for life was for God to separate himself from the, from the people because they sin, and for all of us to separate ourselves from each other because we all wrong each other, then is that any life to live? No. Because from the very beginning, God said it's not good for man to be alone. So God himself dwelt with man, and God gave others for man to dwell with as well. And God is a God of reconciliation that brings us together. In that is true life and true freedom. And not for us to always be at odds with one another. Because that's the ultimate goal, is for us to be reconciled. We cannot balance the punishment that somebody else deserves. We cannot determine whether somebody deserves forgiveness or not because they're going to fail every time. They'll fail that test and you will come to the conclusion they don't deserve forgiveness. That's the conclusion you will draw. God is the only one that can balance knowing whether what somebody deserves without bias. It is impossible for man to do that. And we get that from Numbers chapter 34, verse 7. This is the one that says that God, the attributes of God, that he is forgiving of sin, transgression, and iniquity, yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. That's an attribute of God, not an attribute of man. To where that we are forgiving of all of someone's wrongdoing, but yet will punish the guilty? Those two things are a paradox that only God himself can balance. And see, this is why even in the history of Israel and God's people, there will be times you feel forsaken by God. Because just like I said, every single person needs that, sometimes that time, that separation to figure out and to process what was done to them. Even God turned his face from Israel only for a time, Isaiah says. And that he did forsake Israel, but he would not leave them forsaken. He will not leave them forgotten. For the sake of love, he will still come back and be reunited with his people. So that's the thing that we need to recognize in our process of forgiveness as well. If you need some kind of separation, some kind of time of separation, that's part of the process even for God. But the whole purpose in God's righteousness is so that we can all be reunited again. That's the goal. That's the purpose. And in that comes peace that 
is beyond all understanding. If you've ever had the experience of truly forgiving somebody of the way that they wronged them, you, maybe you wrote them a letter and you said, look, I don't want anything else from you anymore. I actually pray blessings upon you, even though you hurt me, hurt my family, hurt my life, whatever you did. But you know what? I don't want anything anymore. I wish you peace and happiness and goodbye. I forgive you. And then the weight that is lifted off your shoulders, if you truly were genuine and you did process everything and the hurts and the traumas before writing that letter, the weight that is lifted off is like a whole new you. Here's one of the reasons why people don't do that. Because they're afraid of who they are without their trauma. They grow way too comfortable with the hurts that they carry with them and the baggage and the burden that they carry with them. And they are afraid to be alone in their own head. Because instead, what we get to live by when we live with unforgiveness is the people that wronged you live rent-free in your head. And you give them that. You give them the opportunity to dwell in your head, to be with you in every, every action you take in the course of life. You let the ones who have wronged you live rent-free in your head without forgiveness. But if you let it go, and if you forgive the way God forgives us, and you truly grant that person the freedom from their sins and their wrongdoing, you then grant yourself the freedom from the trauma and the hurt that you feel while going through the process, and then you reach true forgiveness, suddenly a weight and a peace comes over you like you've never seen before. And you might be scared of that person and who it is. If it's just you, you don't know what you're going to do with your life. What's your personality going to be like? What are you going to choose to do with your life without the hurt and without the trauma? And you're afraid of that person and being alone in your own head. I would submit to you many times that I've had an opportunity to teach. Don't be afraid. Put only your fear in God. Be inhabited by the love of God, by the spirit of God, by the fruits of his spirit. And do not be consumed by fear, even the fear of yourself post-forgiveness. Let that not be a reason that you don't seek the freedom you so desperately need and desire. Don't stay in the vicious cycle of unforgiveness, in the paradox that never ends and just spins your wheels and just puts your brain trying to wrap around and trying to figure out how to live life. And you will spend years in that cycle trying to figure out a paradox that only God can understand and balance. So that's what I submit to you today. Set yourself free from those that have wronged you. I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know what, how deep it goes. I don't know how long the trauma's been there. I don't know how the person might have hurt you. But this is the subject of forgiveness that is all throughout the scripture. And we must learn and understand it. Because without forgiveness, our connection to the Father is lost. And we have no hope for the kingdom. We have no connection that brings us back to him. So I submit to you, please forgive others as God has forgiven you.
Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share and to speak for our home congregation here at HFF. Um, Father, I count it a joy and a blessing that I get to read and study your word. And so, Father, I pray that um, even if just one person was impacted by the things that I said, that it was your words of wisdom and not my own, Father. Um, For even I and my own brain cannot tackle such a subject as this. But, Father, I just submit humbly to you that you would pour out your peace and your spirit upon us. Cause us to understand the hurts and the traumas. Teach us to process the struggles that we have and the issues that we have faced so that we can truly fulfill these verses in this scripture. To forgive others as we have been forgiven by you. And in forgiving them, Father, we know we have forgiveness from you for our own sins and transgressions. Father, I pray that we don't wrap our brain around it too much. I pray that, Father, we don't seek our own knowledge on the subject. But, Father, through prayer and intercession and introspection, Father, may you reveal to us your word, your truth, and what it is we need to do, who it is we need to talk to, who we need to write a letter to, who we need to go to to seek that forgiveness. Father, you say in your scripture that if we realize and remember that we have ought with our brother, Father, we're to leave our sacrifice on the altar and go and make restitution. Father, sometimes we have to be the one that initiates the interaction, that initiates the process for there to be forgiveness. Father, I pray that we don't just hide, that we don't just stay in our own head, stay in our comfort zone but to break free from that prison, Father, and to be released of the hurts and the traumas that have been done to us and to release those, Father, that have done those terrible things. Father, I pray for freedom. I pray for liberty. As much as we talk about that in this country, Father, I pray that you would pour out a freedom and a liberty that only you can provide, Father, to your people across the globe. Freedom in our minds, freedom in our hearts.